Well, good morning again, Transit family. How's everyone doing after that five-minute break? We still good? All right, good. Uh, well, if you uh, are new here, this is your first time here uh, from the pulpit at the Transit Church, we like to go through uh, books of the Bible. And so today we're, going, uh, we're continuing a sermon series uh, through Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus Christ's longest recording, recorded teaching in uh, the Gospels. And what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, we've entitled the series Kingdom Ethics. How are those who've re- been redeemed out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God, how are we to reorient and to live our lives? What should our hearts uh, be like? What should our thoughts be like? What should our actions be like? How is this blood-bought royal family of God to live their lives? And if you were here uh, last week, John Scott gave an amazing sermon on Matthew 7, 1 through 6, about judge not. Can we put our hands together for John Scott? Seven up into the pulpit. And again, don't miss, we got a lot, we have a lot happening in June. Don't miss any weekends in June because we're farewelling the Scots and maybe another family uh, in the military. The military, we're PCSing, farewelling another family. So the Scots, if you're not going to be here next week, say goodbye to the Scots and make sure you say thank you to uh, just the way that they have served us so faithfully in their year with us. Uh, there, there's some boomerang families where the military sent them and then sends them away, but then the military sends them back. And so the Scots are a boomerang uh, family. They Lord sent them back. So uh, John gave an amazing sermon last week about not judging others. And today we're in Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And the reason we're jumping back into Matthew 6, even though last week we were in Matthew 7, is uh, basically we had a guest speaker come in May, and that kind of uh, messed up the sermon series calendar. And John Scott, for three months, was scheduled to preach last week on Matthew 7, and that's why he preached on Matthew 7. And so we're going back to Matthew uh, 6. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this, and we're going to posture our hearts to receive what God through his word, by his spirit, wants for our minds and our hearts today. So let's read this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being, an anxious, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all this glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you thankful for this invitation today, that you invite us to come just as we are, Lord Jesus, to come to you anxious, to come to you heavy laden, to come to you weary, You're glorified when we do that. You're glorified when we don't try to 
fake peace and fake joy, but we come to you with all of our anxieties and say, God, you are my peace and give me peace. So I ask, Holy Spirit, you do what only you can do and apply these words to our hearts, apply the truth of what is being said here to our hearts and our minds, that we would know that we have a father, we are not orphans, and he has promised to look after us, and he has given us his son. How will he not also give us all things? And so come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way with our hearts and our minds today. Would you magnify Jesus? Would he increase and would I decrease? And pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, if you're looking at your Bibles and you see that the immediate context of what Jesus is talking about in anxiety, the immediate literary context is Jesus talking about money. And so two weeks ago, we were actually talking in Matthew 6 about what Jesus has to say about money. And what Jesus explicitly said there was, he says, do not store up treasures on the earth, but store up treasures in heaven. You cannot love and serve money and love and serve God. You will either hate God or love money or love money and Hey, God, vice versa. Um, and that is the context of our text, is Jesus talking to his followers about don't be, don't be obsessed with all your possessions and your provision. And it's almost as if our text today is Jesus anticipating the thought response of his listeners saying, okay, Jesus, you say don't store up treasures in heaven, but who's going to provide for my needs? I still have to eat and drink. I still need a roof over my head. My kids still need squeeze pouches and goldfish. Like, who's going to who's gonna provide for my kids' needs? What, 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 like, like how, how is that possible for the follower of Jesus to not store up treasures in heaven? And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us to various degrees are plagued with all of these anxieties about our lives. We're all plagued with it what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. Maybe not right now, presently, but down the road, when I, in retirement, will I have enough saved up, so on and so forth. And maybe some of you have come today and your anxiety has declared all-out war on your soul. You're coming here today and your future, even next month, is uncertain. Maybe the clock is ticking on lease situation and you're worried about provision and you're, you're, there's just family concerns, financial concerns, and you're coming here with anxiety waging war on your soul. And what we're going to be looking at today is four ways we fight back, four ways we wage war on our anxiety. And no one here is going to give you four highly effective steps to just snap your fingers and make anxiety go away, right? We know that it's complex, and it can be very complex and very difficult to overcome anxiety. But in our text today, Jesus, I believe, gives us four uh, ways that we can wage war on the anxiety that's waging war on our joy in God and us seeking his kingdom and our peace, our internal peace. And the first thing we're going to be looking at, there's four ways. They all start with the letter A. If you're taking notes, four points of my talk this morning are this. We need to attack the lies of anxiety, assert the truth of our Father, access his presence and power in prayer, and adjust our life's priorities to his priorities. So one, we need to, with, if anxiety is here and it's waging war on our hearts, we need to attack the lies of anxiety. And the simple truth of the matter is our anxiety over our lives is constantly lying to us. Anxiety is constantly reframing our lives from the posture of lack, from the posture of abandonment, from the posture of fear, from the posture of pessimism. Anyone here have a... Uh, a friend growing up that was always negative, like negative Nancy, okay? No offense if your name's Nancy. Ne negative, negative Nick, is that, is maybe, uh, uh, you're like, Nick, you are that, but you are that. Anyways, 
Like you could just win, like win like a, the mega million lottery and they'd be, and instead of saying like, congratulations, they're like, yeah, the IRS can take half of that. And you know, it could be a beautiful sunny day and you're really excited about the spring coming. Yeah, allergies and your bald head's gonna get sunburned. I'm like, okay, like, geez, all right? Like, everything is painted in the negative, and that would be our friend anxiety. I say that to say that anxiety is that annoying friend in our lives, if we were to personify anxiety. And what's even worse than that is uh, we task that annoying friend, watch this, we task him saying, hey, venture into my future and let me know what you see. Anxiety, scope out the land. What does my future hold, anxiety? Tell me, what does next week hold? What does next month hold, anxiety? Tell me, come back, and anxiety, our friend anxiety comes back like he always does. Panicking, wide-eyed, breathless. And you're saying, what does my future hold? And he goes, aliens, right? Like, like you're toast. Your, 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 your future is unsecure. Like, like here's a tinfoil hat so they can't read your thoughts and a shovel and build a doomsday bunker and all this stuff, right? Anxiety comes back and, and lies to you. And lies to you. And the reason I share that confidently is because I know that if I were to ask all of us to share a time where we are in a season of crippling anxiety and worry about some future, future provision in our lives that came to fruition, we saw that, like Jesus says, it was, it was completely futile. It, it, it didn't change anything because God, it was, it, was a, it was a fake news campaign of anxiety against our lives. It didn't come to fruition. It didn't come to fruition. And all that to say is that we don't need to loose our friend anxiety into our future. He cannot be trusted, and he's a liar. And the beautiful invitation of Jesus now is that you and I have a choice whether we want to hang out with that guy or not. We can dump anxiety. That's why Jesus he gives us a command. This is a command, and every command of God is an invitation into a newer and better life. And his invitation to us is this, is saying do three times in our text. Three times in our text, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't hang out with that guy anymore. Don't send him into your future. And, and the reason why we can confidently say that as followers of Jesus without it being trite is because Jesus Christ has already gone into our future. He's already stepped into our future. And not only that, he's come back and he said some things about our future. And so Jesus has come back. And if we were to ask Jesus, what does my future look like? Jesus would say, transit family, your future looks a whole lot like resurrection. Your future looks a whole lot like glory. Your future looks a whole lot like reigning and ruling with me in the new heavens and the new earth. Your future looks like peace forevermore. Your future looks like your greatest enemies, your anxieties, your, the sin, death, the demonic, your greatest enemies. What your future looks like is your greatest enemies fully and finally defeated because I've stepped into your future and already overcome your greatest enemies. That's your future, okay? And every thought comes under submission of that being the core reality of your life. So don't lose your friend anxiety to scope out the land of your future when Jesus has already stepped into your future and come back victorious. He's already stepped into your grave. You're united to him by faith. You've been buried with him in his death and you've risen with him in his resurrection, Romans 6. And so just as he has resurrected and is glorified, so to you your future looks a whole lot like his future. Amen. And every thought of anxiety bends its knee to King Jesus. Okay. So that's what our future holds. We don't lose anxiety into your future when Jesus Christ is already there and he's coming back and he says, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you. 
Um, so secondly, what we see is we need to attack those lies with the gospel. Attack those lies that anxiety is telling us with the truth of the gospel. And the next thing that Jesus points us to in our text, the second thing that we need to do is we need to attack our anxiety, wage war on our anxiety by affirming the truth of our heavenly father. This is the main thrust of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And particularly this text today is the revelation of the goodness of God as our heavenly father. And so overcoming our anxiety is not just what you know. It's not a couple tips and tricks. It's, it's, it's not highly effective steps. It's not just what you know to overcome your anxiety. What Jesus says explicitly in, a te- in our text is that it's all about who you know. It's all about who you know. He does not give us a process. He gives us a person to run to an anxious, nervous wreck. And as we come to him with our anxieties and our burdens to lay those at his feet and in return get his peace, that surpasses all understanding. If we were to ask Jesus, how do we overcome anxiety about provision and our food, what we're going to eat and our mortgage and where we're going to live and the roof over our head? And Jesus says, let's not talk about your anxiety. Let me tell you about your heavenly father. Let me tell you what your father's like. Let me tell you what your God's like because you've bought into some lies. Every anxious thought is birthed out of a lie about God. Every anxious thought is birthed out of a lie about the goodness of your God towards you and towards his kids. It's almost unbelievable how much he loves you and he delights in you. That's why Jesus multiple times, 11 verses, has to shout at us with the megaphone, do you have any idea how good your father is? He loves you. He delights in you. He cares about you. And when we understand the scope and the height and the length and the depth of the Father's love for us, and then we compare it to what we're anxious about, all of a sudden those those anxieties kind of loosen their grip on us. And that's what Jesus points us to. And the first lie of anxiety is this, is my Father doesn't care about me. He doesn't value me. Because if he cared about me, so on and so forth, right? He doesn't value me. He doesn't care about me. Jesus goes for the jugular on that. And the illustration he uses is this, is he mentions the birds of the air, right? What an awesome illustration to give people on their, you know, commute to work and whatever. Look at the, I woke up actually, so uh, I've been, uh, I, um, I slept with my window open and I woke up at like 5 a.m. to the birds singing this morning. And I was like, it's pretty cool. I'm preaching on this text to the birds singing and, and rejoicing in the provision God gave him that morning, right? Uh, not in my notes. Don't know why I showed that. Anyways, uh, so Jesus shares this illustration. He says, look to the sparrow. They, they don't have a nine to five, you know, commute to work and back. They don't have a pension. They're not storing up all this stuff. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. But watch this. The point with this illustration is not this. Look, God feeds some birds, so he's going to feed you too. That's not the point of what he's saying. Watch what he's saying in verse 26. He says, are you not of more value than birds? That's the point he's making. He's saying, you're not a dog. You're not a bird. You're not some rat. You're a royal blood-bought child of God. And the Lord takes care of his own. He gave his son for you. He loves you. He values you. He delights in you. First, I love 1 John 3, 1. I love this. Oh, this is so good. John goes, see, look, you won't believe it. What kind of love is this that we have found? What kind of love is this that the Father has given us, that we have a new identity, that we would be called, we, little old me, would be called a child of God? And in case you didn't believe it, let me add this phrase, and so we are. 
And so we are. That's the core reality of your life. You are not an orphan. You are not abandoned. You are not a rat or some dog. You are highly valued by God. He loves you and he delights in you. And he moves in and he moves close. And that's the second thing. Where maybe for some of us, we go, okay, God, I grew up in the church. I get it. God loves me, yada, yada, whatever. I get it. My father cares about me, but he doesn't give a rip about the small details of my life. Right? And we, and we believe this subconsciously. Like our common tendency as believers is this, is, is we believe that God only wants to hear from us on like important matters. Right? Like you're going into the principal's office and you have to come with like your spiritual assignments. Right? And God's like, I'm a busy man. Got a lot of things going on. And don't you dare come to me with things about food or material provision for your family. And when you come to me, you better be speaking in King James English. I better hear some vows and some shouts and, you know, all that stuff, okay? That's how you come to me. And uh, we, we just think for some odd reason, I think it's our default settings that God doesn't give a rip about us, us being fed and us being clothed and us having uh, provision in our lives. And that's why Jesus has the megaphone out and he's saying he does. He does care about our provision. We see that God is all up in the smallest of details in our lives. Watch this, verses 30 and verse 32. Jesus shifts the illustration from birds to the grass, the the lilies of the field. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. All our God sees and knows all of your needs before you even know that you need those needs. Meaning this, he knows what's in your fridge. He knows what's not in your fridge. He knows what's in your closet. He knows what's not in your closet. He knows what's in your bank account. He knows what's not in your bank account. He knows your needs. And more than that, in Luke 12, goes a step further and says this, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Not one of them is neglected. Not one of them is forgotten by God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Do not be anxious. Why? Going back to value. You are of more value than many sparrows. And what we see is that God sees you. God knows you. He's present with you. He cares about your material needs. And he knows you so well that he's even counted the hairs on your eyebrows. He's counted for some of us who are follically challenged. Um, and he's counted every follicle. And it's insa- it's, what we need to not miss here is kind of the insanity of, of this, right? Of, of this kind of seemingly obsession that God has with us. And, and if you could just bear with me for a little bit, imagine you're on a date with somebody and they say, hey, I know everything that's in your fridge. And I know what's in your closet. And while you were sleeping, I counted every single hair on your head. And it came out to 32, 333,000 hairs. Like, like, you know, like, you'd be like, okay, I need to exit stage left. I'm going to call the police. Like, that's like, but, but listen, listen, that's how God has chosen to reveal how much he cares about you. That's how God has chosen to reveal how much he sees you and loves you and knows you and wants to be invited into every space of your life. Why? Why is that? Because when you delight in someone, when you love someone, love always manifests in proximity. Love always leans in. Love always comes close. Love always wants to listen and say, tell me about your day. 
Tell me about your needs. What's on your heart? How can I help you? And so God in his value of us and his love for us comes close and draws near and is present with us by his spirit and wants to be present with the spirit so that he would give his son so that our sins could be cleansed and he could fill us so that where we are by his spirit, he dwells with us. Where we are, there he is as well. And what that means then is that we can go to God consistently and constantly with our needs. He wants to hear from them. Uh, uh, name drop it. I name drop it every sermon. If you haven't read it yet, you need to read it. It's A Praying Life by Paul Miller, all right? So y'all know it's coming, all right? So A Praying Life by Paul Miller is a book on prayer that outside the Bible like really changed my life because it changed my walk with the Lord. And, and, and he mentions another book on prayer that I also read. And he referenced it without referencing it, so I'm not going to name the other book. But in the book, Paul Miller uh, talks about how there's this one book kind of on Christian uh, uh, evangelicalism about making decisions. And basically what the whole premise of the book is, just make a decision. God doesn't care about your needs. Mature, grow up, be an adult, stop praying about the small stuff and just go get it done. Okay? To the extent that he shares the illustration of God doesn't care about your parking spot. Just find a parking spot. Right? And Paul Miller presents that to his parents. I believe it was either his parents or uh, the, uh, the Matthews and the Millers. So it was either in the book his parents or his grandparents who were missionaries in a war-torn region in Africa, like, like, like civil, civil war status. There were missionaries over there. It's brutal. And, and he called them and he goes, hey, what, I'm just reading this book. What do you think about this idea of, of not asking God to help you find a parking spot? And I believe it was either his mom or his grandma goes, how else would you find a parking spot? I was like, that's good. That's good right there. That's good. And see, this beautiful thing that we have is we have a father who has promised good to us and wants to be invited into every sphere of influence. And when and when and when you begin to invite God into those things that you think he doesn't care about, and you begin to ask him, and then you begin to see him answer those requests, your faith skyrockets. That not just that he cares about me, it's leading to my third point, not just that he cares about me and that he cares about the small details of my life, but he has the power to provide. And that leads us to our third point, is we fight anxiety, we wage war on anxiety by accessing God's presence and power in prayer. Accessing God's presence and power in prayer. One of the lies of anxiety that we just talked about is that my heavenly father doesn't actually have the ability to provide for my needs. Therefore, praying and asking is a waste of time. Anxiety actually works out well because anxiety makes me produce and then I got my needs met where prayer is a waste of time because I'm not productive and I, I'm just speaking to the wall for heaven's sake and God can't, doesn't actually have um, the ability, the means to do that. And again, what Jesus is doing in this illustration is he's, he's, he's telling us He's screaming at us in a way in beauty and wonder. He's inviting us to behold how good our Father is. And again, if he clothes all the sparrows and the lilies of the field, how much more will he clothe you? That what he's saying about followers of Jesus, those in the royal blood-bought family of God, he's saying this is who your God is. This is who your Father is. He's the wealthiest person in all of creation. He holds the galaxies in his hands. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And the confidence that brings you is this, okay? I was on the phone call with Pastor Josh Young. Uh, through your tithes and offerings, we financially support uh, lots of missionaries and lots of church planners. And Josh Young and Redeeming Hope in Clarksville, Tennessee are one of those churches. And Josh Young and I are friends, and we were chatting last week um, about um, some, some financial needs uh, for his church and just talking about, you know, church and ministry and, and financial needs. And, and I just love Josh. If you're able to talk to Josh, he preached uh, uh, earlier uh, last month uh, about, on evangelism. It was awesome having him, in case you don't know who I'm talking about. And uh, he's like, Nick, you know what? All of a sudden, he just stopped me. And because we're talking about like financial provision and ministry and all this stuff, he goes, he goes, uh, uh, he asked me a question. He goes, 
our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? Like he owns everything. Like the world is his. He spoke it into existence. Everything's his. So watch this, Nick. God answering the prayer for you to get a good parking spot in Amazon Fresh parking lot <laughs> is just as easy for God to answer as praying for a $5 million budget increase for a building campaign. It's just as easy. The prayer for a parking spot to God is just as easy to answer for a five million like advancement of the kingdom, like building, you know, building campaign or whatever. That's what he was saying. And I was like, dang, that's good. That'll preach. I'll give you credit, but that's good, right? It's just as easy for God to answer that prayer. That's who our God is. And Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, the apostle Paul says this. I love this prayer. Now to him, our God, who is able, who is able, that's why we go to prayer, because he's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power I work with in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and amen. So if this is true about who our heavenly father is, his value in us, his, 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 his care for the small details of, details of our lives, and his ability to provide for our needs, the smartest thing we could ever do is run to him in prayer with our anxiety. The smartest thing we could ever do is run to him in prayer with our anxiety. And what I love about the scriptures is this. What I love about the scriptures is this. Repeatedly in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the refrain is, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. I'm with you. I'm for you. You're going to be all right. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. And the presupposition with that it's just almost as if God knows that his people are going to be a freaked out, anxious mess. You know, like if that's the most common like invitation, if that's the most common refrain, then there's grace for you if you're anxious this morning. There's grace for me if I'm anxious this morning. This morning. It's a common thing. The only reason this command is necessary three times because Jesus knows even his followers are going to fall for it. And they're gonna be, there's going to be a war declared on their soul against it. There's grace for you. And one of the greatest, most freeing realities in your relationship with God is when you realize that you can come to him just as you are. It's one of the most freeing realities when you realize that the real you has to meet the real God in prayer. You can't fake it before God. And so one of the greatest things that you can do this uh, Sunday as we give you time to respond is take all of your anxieties, all of your worries to God, and don't speak to him in King James English, and just come to him, and like a kid to a father says, this is what I need in this season, God. This is what I need. Would you bring provision, and would you bring peace? And in the scriptures, God continually invites us to come to him a, a, a hot mess. Don't take my word for it. First Peter 5, 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the, at the proper time he might exalt you casting, that's an that's a, that's a ING, that's a, that's a continual repeated action, casting all of your anxieties upon him, not a past tense, cast your anxieties upon him, never to have to recast them because you're never going to have any anxieties ever again in your life. No, continually through prayer, casting all your anxieties upon him. Why? Why would we go to God and cast our anxieties upon him? Because he wants to hear from you, because he cares for you, because he delights in you. He wants it. He invites you to do that. Philippians 4. Five. I'll start, I think, in, yeah, the end of five. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything, in everything, pray without ceasing, in everything by, the, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And watch this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And um, I think the way I just, this illustration came to mind uh, as I was preparing for this was when we understand that God can manage what we're anxious about far better than we can, we'll begin to hand it over to him. Okay, so uh, my father, if you know my father, he is a car guy, okay? He was a mechanic before he was a, a police officer, and um, he's got like a Jeep Cherokee that's got like 600,000 miles on it, but because he's taken such good care of it, like it still runs, which is amazing. Um, and when uh, my family will go visit my, my parents and I'll pull my car into the driveway, empty all the kids and go into uh, the house, like well, if you know me, you know I am not a car guy. You can learn that pretty quickly by just stepping into my car um, or looking at my car. It's, it's not polished, it's dirty. Um, it probably is 10,000 miles past an oil change um, and there's, there's goldfish dust, and uh, this past week we discovered, wait, what's that smell? Oh, that was a bottle of milk that was hidden under the seat. That is moldy and disgusting. Okay, that's my car that pulls up into my father's driveway. Now, shame could keep me from pulling that car into my father's driveway. Man, I got to come to my dad, a car guy. I need the big rims. I need, you know, all that stuff, right? But see, I'll just bring my car and I'll leave it there, not intentionally knowing that he's going to do this, but then I'll be you know, drink coffee, catch up with my mom, all that stuff. And I'll say, hey, where's Pops? And then I go try to look, and then I look out the window. And no joke, I mean, I'm not, exact, I'm not making this up. Like, he's got the bucket, he's got the hose, he's, he's like detailing my car. And like, to the point that he's got like that cool foam, makes the tires pop, you know what I'm saying? Like, you spray it, it dries up, and then like vacuuming it, and then, he's got, and then he lifts the hood up. It's not just surface level work that Pops cares about. He lifts the hood up. He's checking the, the fluids. I don't even know what these fluids are, but he's checking them, right? And so isn't that a beautiful illustration for prayer? That, hey, pull into your pop's driveway. Bring him your, 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 your clunker, right? The, the mess on the inside and the outside and entrust it into his hands. And when I see, watch this, and when I leave that car and I look out the window and I see that it's my father looking in the hood of that car, I know my car's in good hands. My car, there's a peace. See, it says in Philippians 4 that when you present your request to God, there's a transaction that takes place. Say, here are all my anxieties. Here's my mess. I hand it to you. And the peace that comes is knowing this is that you're going to take way better care of managing my assets than I am. And there's a peace that comes that you're for me and you have the ability to provide for my needs. And lastly, and I'll wrap up with this. Um, and I think the way this manifests, before I go on, is this, I think in our times with the Lord, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows uh, pretty much everything. It's, it's the wellspring of life. Everything you do flows from it, Proverbs 4.23. And in our times with the Lord, sometimes we, we rush and we just try to check them off the list, hit our reading plans, our podcasts, get our reps in and get in and get out, and our hearts remain sick. We still have anxieties that we're carrying. And what the scriptures would encourage you in your times with the Lord, would, what would it look like for you to, to, if you're having trouble connecting with the Lord because your mind is all over your anxieties of work and life and all this stuff, to make a list of those anxieties in your time with the Lord and go line by line. Say, Father, you've promised good to me. You know, you know these needs. And I'm going to present them to you. I'm going to ask that you would provide for these needs. And after I ask, after I air my, my peace about, about all these things that, that are coming up that I need you to show up, I'm going to entrust this to you 
And I'm going to ask that you would keep your promise in Philippians 4, that your peace would guard my mind and my heart, knowing that you're for me. And, you might, and, and very well that you, you, you know what's coming. I'm not going to lose anxiety in my future, but you're in my future, and you've promised good to me. And, and, and whatever that looks like in regards to your will being done and not my will being done. Make that list, present it to your Father, and pray over that. And in return, as you cast your anxieties upon him, invite his peace to come by his presence to guard your heart and your mind. Lastly, and I'll conclude with this um, slowly. Uh, we need to uh, adjust our life's priorities. Adjust our life's priorities. The lie that anxiety tells us is that the main purpose of your life, the chief ethic of your life, is to live as long and as safe and as comfortable as you can. That's the American dream. That's the lie of the American dream. Look, that's the subconscious baseline ethic of the American dream is that your end goal is to live as long as you can, as safe as you can, and as comfortable as you can, and do, what, do whatever it takes to, 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 to have that goal. And if God doesn't exist, and all we are is one accident, one cosmic accident from nothing we came from and nothing to return, that is your, that is your ethic. That, I mean, that's it. Like, like, that's it. Like, that's the hope you have. Why, why not live a life anxious and worried? And then two, if, if God doesn't exist, then you have a whole lot of reasons to be anxious because it all depends on you. Your provision all depends on you. And there's a beautiful invitation for anyone that's watching or anyone that's here this morning is that God is real. He loves you. Proof and evidence of his love for you is that for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son to die for your sins, your sins that separated you from God. And he loved you so much, he didn't want you to be separate from him. So he paid the, your debt of sins on the cross of Jesus so that you could have life, eternal life in him. That's the invitation of the gospel. Come to God with your sin to receive forgiveness so that you can receive fellowship with this father, this good father that Jesus Christ is revealing to us in the Sermon on the Mount. So we adjust our life's priority. And that's the lie that anxiety tells us is that you're the most important thing is to live as long and comfortable and safe as you can. If that's your chief ethic, then naturally your greatest fear and anxiety will be in regards to your provision. And in the face of that, Jesus calls his followers to something far greater than just surviving. Church, we gotta realize this. We gotta realize this. There is a greater ethic in our lives than mere survival. There is something far greater that Jesus has invited his church than mere survival and comfort and safety. He has invited us to the kingdom and to lay it all down. And that does not mean health. And I'm getting out, getting out of myself. He's called us into something far greater. Verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There it is saying life is not just about your basic needs. There is something higher I'm calling you to as a follower of Jesus. There's something greater to base your entire existence upon. There's something far more beautiful, far grander reality to play out in your life than mere survival. Verses 31 through 33. Therefore, don't be anxious. What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What are we gonna wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Watch this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Look at the simplicity of the Christian life. Right, Matthew 22, the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your body and love your neighbor as yourself and leave the anxiety about your material provision to me. You worry about, and then, and then what we can't miss here is you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness. What is that? It's a consecrated life unto God. Realizing that my entire, the breath in my lungs, 
The life he's given me is a gift from me, and I live my life consecrated unto him. It belongs to him. So my, the prayer of my life is, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's consecration, holiness. Lord, sanctify me. Make me more like Jesus. Make me more uh, selfless and pure so I can get more of you and see more of you because Matthew 5, 8, the pure in heart will see God. It's almost as if Jesus is saying here, you seek me and seek my kingdom and I'll take care of yours. Tracking with me? You seek my kingdom, keep me the main thing. Stay as close to me as possible and I'll manage the books. I'll keep your, I'll keep your mouth fed. I'll keep the roof over your head. Okay, and the rebuttal that we all wrestle with, the response we all wrestle with is this, and band, you can come on up. Is Jesus here promoting a health and wealth gospel? Is Jesus here saying that um, uh, the Christian will never suffer and go without food and will never die a martyr? Like, how do we wrestle this tension that Jesus here is talking about, where the cross, the Christian life is a cross, is an invitation to come and die and to suffer? Like, go read 2 Corinthians. The apostle Paul suffered immensely, uh, went days without food, was shipwrecked, was beaten, uh, was persecuted. How do we wrestle the tension of the Christian life being a cross, a call to come and die, and yet a promise of God's love and provision for us? And I think a real simple way to resolve this tension is that when you and I are redeemed by Jesus out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God, when we're rescued out of hell itself, we are not rescued onto a cruise ship. We are rescued soaking wet out of the flames or whatever onto a warship, a battleship. There's a war raging on across the face of the earth and salvation comes with an immediate commission. Matthew 28, go into the world, to all the world, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so y'all are military. I just met, uh, we have a heavy military culture here, and I just met someone uh, from the Navy who I think was on a ship on the West Coast. And uh, y'all know as well, as well as I do, if you've been on a warship, that um, there aren't too many daiquiris and pina coladas on a warship, right? There's not too much parcheesi and, and shuffleboard being had on a warship. And so prayers for provision in that scenario on a warship are, hey God, my daiquiri's a little watered down today. Could you get me another one? Can I return this? Hey, I need more sunscreen while I'm here sunbathing. No, no, no. A general uh, admiral of a warship what provision looks like for his soldiers is PT at 4.30 in the morning. What, 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 what provision looks like for an admiral of a war, warship is training, is fortitude, is strength, is preparing you to be the, the most powerful agent of chain in the change in the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's good provision of a good admiral for his soldiers. I've talked to some of you about survival school. Right, Seth Shook and uh, what he had to do to become a pilot of survival school. And what he could tell me, it was, it was pretty wild. That's provision. The wilderness experience is provision for you. None of your suffering is wasted. None of your suffering is wasted. What if that's in a way, in a mysterious way, God triumphing over the evil of suffering by Romans 5 and James 1, it's strengthening you, it's fortifying you. And, and I think what it looks like when, when Jesus is saying, seek first my kingdom and I'll add all the rest, it's an admiral saying, hey, you keep, you, you're white hot for my mission. You don't ever have to worry about running out of ammo. 
and rations. I got your back. I'll handle the logistics. You stay focused on my mission. And as long as you're continuing to press forward and to advance, I'm, I, you will, there will never come a day where you're reaching for your belt and you do not have ammo until your earthly assignment's over. That's a completely different mission. So when we readjust our priorities to the priorities of Jesus, the one who has saved us by his grace alone, and we say, here I am, Lord, send me to others who are just like me who need you, Jesus, that's saying the gates of hell will not prevail against us, that we are to advance against the gates of hell in love and in power. And so the bottom line is this, is that when our heart cry is, Lord, send me, when our heart cry, our greatest life priority is the fulfillment that the mission of the, the fulfillment of the mission that God has entrusted to us, our definition of needs and provision changes. It changes. When we have a wartime, mission-critical mindset, provision has, takes on a whole new meaning. Exhibit A. So the Larsons were here in April. They gave us an update. They're missionaries in Zambia that we support. And for a while, it was hilarious. They were praying for motorcycles as missionaries, right? Not Harley Davidson's to cruise in Zambia with vests and patents. Now there's anything wrong with that if you're a Harley Davidson guy, all right? But motorbikes, we need bikes, we need motorcycles. Why? Because there's people that desperately need Zambia and the deep bush of Zambia and we're going and we're gonna go tell them about Jesus. And guess what came? Motorcycles. Guess what came? Provision. And then guess what flowed out of their hearts? God provided. He sees our needs. We're seeking his kingdom. And he has provided the transportation. He's provided the rations. And he's saying, if you're going, I got you. I'll give you that 500cc motorcycle and you'll go and you'll tell him about my goodness and you'll tell him about my salvation. Provision takes on a whole new meaning when we, when we adjust our priorities to beautiful King Jesus and his kingdom. And I'll conclude with John 16, 33, and then I'll invite us to seek God in prayer. I'll conclude with John 16, 33. Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Do you see the heart of Jesus? He wants us to have peace in the middle of the storm, in the world. This is a promise of Jesus. You will have tribulation. We are in the middle of a war. This, this, this world is, is still under the curse of sin and infiltrated by the demonic. There's suffering, immense suffering. You will have tribulation in this world, follower of Jesus. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What Jesus is saying there is that you will have tribulation, but I've already stepped into your future through my resurrection. I've stepped into your future and I've overcome. So now every thought that comes against you in fear and doubt and worry first has to bend its knee to the King of glory who's reigning right now and has promised that we will reign with him forever. So let's do this. Let's, let's posture our hearts. I'm gonna give you an invitation to pray uh, right now to go before your Lord who invites you to cast all your anxieties upon him. And wherever you're at, with whatever's on your heart, this is like, I don't want you to receive a cool sermon today. I want you to encounter the living God and to hear from him and to get his peace. And so to quiet your hearts and bring, bring your car, your messy car, your anxious car, pull that into the driveway and invite the Father to say, hey, I invite you into this. What do you have to say about my anxieties? What do you have to say, Jesus, about my future? Invite him in, invite him in and see what he does. 
bring those anxieties to him. And then I'll close this in prayer. Spirit, would you come and minister your peace to your people right now, God? You know the depths of our angst in some of our hearts, some of our souls, God, what we've been wrestling with. God sees everything. He sees all the tears. I think someone here needs to know that he's heard your prayers. Those cries in that prayer closet have not fallen on deaf ears. You're not speaking to the ceiling. You're not speaking to the wall. But he's heard those prayers spoken in silent, through sobs, through tears. He's heard it all. Minister your peace, God, to your people. Reassure them of your presence. Comfort us in our affliction. And I pray that a great exchange would take place this morning. Our anxieties for your peace. What a great exchange. Lord God, we bring our clunker into your driveway and you give us a brand new ride, Lord God. Thank you for that. Thank you for your heart that you invite us to come. You invite us to come. And I, and I thank you, Lord, that you've already provided for our greatest needs. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So we say thank you for the snacks. Thank you for the roof over our head. But ultimately, our hope is not in those things. Our hope has never been just you physically providing for our needs. Our hope has been you providing for our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. And for some of us, deliverance from demonic oppression and healing and deliverance and salvation and a brand new life and a brand new destiny. Have you not already provided for our greatest needs, oh God? By the giving of your son, your precious son. And so we say we present our anxieties to you, our real anxieties about real needs. And we also, in the same breath, we say, thank you, you've already provided for our greatest heart needs our eternal needs, God. And you've gone into our future and you've come back and you have said some great things about what's in store for us. And so we clothe ourselves in your peace, God. And we say thank you that you alone are the one, the only one who can give us peace in exchange for our anxieties. Thank you, Lord. And all this we pray in your name. Amen.